I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark uh, chapter uh, 7. If you don't have a a Bible handy, there should be one at at one end of the pew nearby to you. Mark uh, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, Mark chapter 7, and we're resuming our uh, series where we left off uh, uh, several weeks ago to jump ahead into the events of of Easter. Uh, As you know, we've sort of... uh, hopscotched our way uh, through chapters 4, 5, and 6 in order that we could get through uh, Mark in a, in a reasonably timely fashion over these uh, next couple of months. Uh, here we are today in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, and what we want to see and what we will see in these verses is a challenging message about the depth of our brokenness and need that points us that points us to our need of a deep work of salvation through Jesus from the inside out. I invite you to stand with me. I'll read aloud these words from God's holy and fully true word as you read along silently. Mark chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, to Jesus that is, when some of the scribes who had come with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, 
Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray again. Oh, Father, help us to see our deep need deeply inside and the beauty of a Savior that has met us there and brought redemption. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've all probably had the experience early in the morning, waking up in our room a little groggy, a little bit confused because of the darkness, and we grab perhaps that uh, sweatshirt or t-shirt, or maybe we're getting fully dressed for a day at the office. It might be just a few seconds later when we happen to walk in front of a mirror, or maybe it's not till we see another human being at the office and they sort of snicker at us that we realize we've got our shirt on inside out. With the kiddos, it's particularly amusing. Uh, Some of us have the little ones or can remember back to those days. They seem to always be getting their shirts inside out somehow. It seems like an easy thing for them to do. Uh, They usually need some help getting them righted correctly. Oh, that fixing our hearts, fixing our spiritual problem deep inside was as easy as just turning a shirt inside out. The Scriptures remind us time and time again, and Jesus is telling us really nothing new here, even in the context of Mark. He already told us back in chapter 2 that He comes not for the righteous, but for sinners. But He takes it a level deeper here and actually digs in and talks about what is the depth of our problem and how we see it flowing forth from within. I love it. I mean, it must have been an interesting thing. I mean, when you, you ask a question to Jesus, especially if you happen to be among those scribes and Pharisees, I mean, you're kind of taking your life into your own hands right there because he just he comes out with both barrels sometimes. And if you want to follow along with me in your worship guide, you can. Uh, towards the end of it is a section of sermon notes. But he basically says this to the people who asked him these questions and to us today. He says that we are hypocrites. We are, each one of us, to some degree, hypocrites. And so we desperately need to receive salvation. And we might add to grow in salvation, to receive and grow in that salvation deep inside of us, from the inside out. Let's look at what he says, how he lays up the case for this in these verses. The first thing he shows us is our hypocrisy of elevating human tradition. Take a look and follow along, and then we're going to see how this applies to us. It might seem a little abstract in the situation of the scribes and Pharisees and the serious uh, spiritual folks in Jesus' day, but believe me, this stuff relates directly to us as well. 
verses uh, 1 through 4 or so, uh, Jesus is just describing the fact that the uh, leaders, the, the serious ones spiritually in that day, in at least initially a, a well-intentioned goal of trying to make sure they stay uh, clean in the way that the Old Testament outlined, to be set apart as a special people to God, they had taken and added on to the specific commandments that God had given. So, as it mentions, this is the tradition of the elders. Now, today, of course, we like to wash our hands for different reasons, for physical sanitation reasons. Understand, they were doing it uh, simply for a spiritual purpose. But their purpose was to expand beyond the commands of God. And you can see where it would have a good motive. Let's protect ourselves. Let's make sure we get this in place. But the problem is, is now it had become, it had taken on a life of its own. It had become a rule and a law in their minds as if it had come from God. And therefore, they're even so bold to walk up to the Savior of the universe, to the Lord Jesus, and to challenge him on this hand-washing issue. Well, Jesus uh, won't have any of this, so he responds to them uh, with a verse from the Old Testament. You know, he's gracious enough to do that with, with us, isn't he? He could just tell us, here's the scoop. But he takes time to go back and say, all right, y'all are trying to claim that you're coming from this Old Testament tradition, even though you've got it all haywire. Let me quote to you this Old Testament passage. And he says, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And then he says this, specifically, how does that happen? Part of how that happens is when we teach as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, we can see how this could happen in any church, uh, whether you're a brand new church with no affiliation to any sort of historic church tradition or whether you have some book called a catechism or a confession or whatever you go by, you can certainly see how any church can sort of take the way that we do things and make it into a a command. This is the way we have to do things. That can be uh, dangerous, of course. But it goes deeper than that, really, for us individually. And, And I want to get at it by asking you this question. Which is worse? Which is worse, to subtract from the commandments of God or to add to the commandments of God? It's really a trick question, isn't it? But if we're not careful, the default mode of those who might want to think of themselves as more seriously spiritually geared is that if we're going to err, let's err on the side of adding a few things to it. What's the big problem with that? Either one. In either case, whether we're subtracting them out or adding them on to, who has now become the lawgiver? We have. It's us. We're making up the rules and calling the shots. Let me bring it home a little bit for us. Which is worse? To say that it's totally unnecessary for a believer to spend regular time each day in God's Word, to say that's totally unnecessary, or to say that we must do our regular time each day in this way and in this manner. Which is worse? 
Both are tweaking. It's a good thing. God's law tells us, hey, get in the Word, grow in the Word. But He doesn't give us specific prescriptions for it. Uh, what about, here's a better one for our uh, Southern culture. I'll probably ruffle a few feathers here. Certainly, if we are not of age, the, the uh, law states a certain age to consume alcohol. And if we're struggling with alcohol, then that's an issue. But which is worse, to say that we can consume alcohol in whatever amounts to drunkenness whenever we want to, or to say that we can never have any of it? Which is worse? Let's take it to the parenting front of things. We've got a decent number of us that are in the parenting mode. We're not careful. What's interesting is we not only apply these things to ourselves, we like to use them as grids for other people. We don't say that word in our house. We don't watch that particular movie. Uh, This is how we handle that kind of situation. And we begin to map those standards on to other people and say that they've got to conform to a standard that was never in God's Word. In Jesus' time, it had gotten at least that ugly, maybe a little bit worse. These verses 9 through 13, if you want to look at them, if you haven't read this passage maybe ever before or haven't read it in a while, it might have been a little confusing, but it's actually not that complicated, so, so track with me. What's going on here is that the people, in what seems like a really good spiritual motivation, are saying that a certain uh, amount of our wealth and maybe their time and energy as well is korban, which just is a word that means devoted or gift. And what they were doing is, uh, under this spiritual facade, saying, we're going to set aside those things for the purposes of God, whatever they might be. Sounds like a good thing, right? People saying we're committed to the kingdom of God, and we're going to set aside those things for the temple or for the ministry or for helping folks out or whatever. But Jesus is confronting them because the way that people would use that is that even if their own parents, their own family, let alone their neighbors or a nearby uh, enemy who's in need, Even if those people needed help, they would say, sorry, this is Corban. Can't help you. Sorry, Mom and Dad, that you don't have anything to eat. This is Corban. We're we're spiritual. We've got this set aside. Jesus says, can you not see the absurdity of elevating this tradition and tweaking it so that it serves your purposes and ignoring the commandments of God that are clear as day. Honor your father and your mother. Well, this is what the people of Jesus' day have done with that tradition. And it's a reminder for us that Jesus is saying, be very, oh, so careful what things we take. It, it feels good, probably. You know, these people are coming to Jesus because he seems like he's going liberal. You understand? They're worried he's getting loosey-goosey with the rules and regulations. Why aren't your disciples washing their hands? That's what you're supposed to do. That's what we all do. And Jesus says, you know, piling more and more rules on does not equal spiritual. If those things are not moving you to the Lord, 
or if those things have become a standard that you apply as a grid to other people and critique them, then they're very, very dangerous. They're actually moving you away from the Lord. Second thing we see in these uh, verses that's equally challenging is the hypocrisy of ignoring our own sinful condition. Jesus says, okay, the problem is not just that you've erected this veneer of super spirituality and you're actually in your heart and in your actions failing to obey the command. That's, that's, that's one thing. That's bad enough. But he said the, the other problem is the whole scenario ignores the fact that all of us are deeply broken inside. That really what you put into your body just comes in and goes out and you're missing the whole point. The whole point of those Old Testament regulations for the people to live a certain way and be set apart and have some unique behaviors was what? The whole goal was so that they would see the purity and holiness of God and be called to live as a set-apart people and that they would be reminded of their brokenness, their defilement. And so if they needed to uh, watch out for any uncleanliness, it was to point to them their spiritual uncleanliness. For them, it's just become a book of rules and regs. Jesus goes to the heart then, and he reminds them, we've read it a couple of times already today, of all these things that come from within. And this has a thousand implications that we can't even begin to talk about. I mean, if this is true, what it describes is our human nature. If our problem really actually comes from within, he's not saying that there aren't problems out there. The Bible begins with you know, Adam and Eve, and it talks about an evil one that comes in and brings temptation. But Jesus is reminding us that, that that out in the world itself really would have no power if it weren't that there was something wrong in the inside coming up from us. And if we begin to understand this, uh, it'll change the way we think about how we ought to be as a church family. It'll, it'll make us think about the church family more as a hospital than certainly as a country club or even as a self-help group, we'll realize we are here uh, on our deathbed, each one of us, each week, you might say, needing the, the healing, the mercy of Jesus. We're suffering from internal bleeding. And if we uh, live the way these Pharisees and scribes were, it would be like sticking a package of Band-Aids all over the outside of your body. It's not helping us. It's a hospital. We need great help deep within. And Jesus describes all of these things Certainly, if you don't resonate with one of these, you might resonate with another one or six or seven of them. From within come evil thoughts. Jesus isn't talking there about somebody that's an axe murderer and got axe murder on the mind. <laughs> He's talking there about just our propensity to think things that are not glorifying to God. You ever try for just an hour to think only thoughts that are glorifying to God? It doesn't, doesn't happen too well. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, Jesus tells us in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, that being angry at a person without justification, that that's actually a form of murder because we really hate them. Adultery, coveting, wickedness, coveting. We'll talk about co- you know, coveting. Uh, it's a good thing we live in our country. I think you know, capitalism, probably like others of you here, pretty good system. That's the best we can probably do. If we're not careful, if we don't take our, our capitalism and our, and our commercials and all that we see and, and filter it through a grid of the gospel and of the Lord, those things will take on a life of their own, won't they? And Jesus reminds us that it's a dangerous thing to be constantly wanting the next thing. There's an emptiness to constantly wanting the next thing. That flows 
uh, from without us as well. And then, you know, a little bit more, uh, what we call them, white-collar sins here. Uh, deceit, the sensuality, kind of worldliness, envy. Oh, surely it's not that bad to just want a little bit more. Slander, so that's speaking negatively about somebody behind their back. Pride. And then foolishness, who can fault somebody? Foolish, you just, you know, just a foolish move. No, the Bible says foolishness really comes from a heart that says, I'm going to try to live life on my own without God's wisdom. So all of these things, Jesus says, flow from within. I like what uh, the Peanuts cartoon with Charlie Brown, one of those uh, ones that I saw, one of my favorites, really, is uh, uh, Charlie Brown and, He's, he says this, he says, Sometimes I lie awake at night and wonder, where have I gone wrong? And then it says, a voice said, this is going to take more than one night. That's true, isn't it? That's really true. And this stuff is so at the center of the gospel, if we'll begin to see our need, as one of the Puritans said, and I think you can find this in your worship guide as well, he summed it up, not not just the things that we do that turn against God, but it's the things that we fail to do. He says, my life and my heart abound with apologies not made, repentance not completed, forgiveness not offered, brothers not respected, reputations not defended, peace not pursued, neighbors not loved. Sabbaths not kept, appetites not restrained, parents not honored, spouse not cherished, children not trained, prisoners not visited, strangers not clothed, hungry not fed, providences, he's talking about the blessings of God, providences ignored, envy unchecked, prayers unspoken, fears not conquered, truth not defended, sheep not fed, feet unmoved, tongue unbridled, eyes unguarded, time wasted. Talents wasted, treasure wasted. What's all this mean for you and for me? If you get it and you're getting the message right up to this point, it's a heavy weight. It would bring us to despair. And the beauty is that we've got a third point to this sermon. There's a third point to the reality of what Jesus has done for us. We talked about the hypocrisy of elevating human tradition, the hypocrisy of ignoring our human condition. Let's talk for a second about the necessity of Jesus' salvation. And I want to look at Psalm 51 to do that. If you want to turn back there, if you would. This seems, it would be great. This seems like, like a good place for us to consider this and to conclude our time today. This is the psalm that King David is writing uh, shortly after his uh, uh, adultery with Bathsheba. And then, as you recall, he, he, in an effort to cover that up, he also puts Bathsheba's husband, who was a faithful, loyal soldier. Imagine this. He intentionally puts him at the front lines and then has the other troops in the army retreat so that Uriah is effectively killed, murdered. This is what the king of Israel has done. And so he's seeing what's going on in his heart. He's seeing, I think, some of what Jesus is telling us about in these verses. Psalm 51, we won't read all of it, but listen to what it says about his understanding of the depth of his problem and then the ability he has because of that to see the beauty 
of what Jesus is doing for him in showing mercy. Of course, he's looking forward to Jesus. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. doesn't mean that he's not hurting somebody else. It means he understands ultimately all of my uh, evil, all my transgressions are against God first and foremost. So that you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. It doesn't mean his mom did something wrong. It means he was born with a sinful nature. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And then verse 7. Oh, listen to this, people of God. If, if we'll deal and receive these verses from Jesus today, listen to this good word about the mercy of God. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than the snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from all my sins. Blot out all my iniquities and create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. We will turn to Jesus in our brokenness, in our defiled condition, he offers that kind of grace. The uh, Lord of the Rings series, whether you're a book reader or watched uh, the movies, uh, you'll recall the image that pervades each one of those stories, and that is of that ring, that evil ring. But you'll remember, if you remember those stories, that the ring itself although it comes from Mordor and represents that evil realm, it actually has power when it taps into the evil, the sin that's within each person it encounters. Gollum, the first one who murders his friend in order to get the ring and then descends into oblivion. Uh, Baramir, the stately king from that lineage of kings, who is tempted by it, even Gandalf, who doesn't want to touch the ring because he's afraid of what he might do with it. And it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, although Frodo is not presented as a perfect character. He's presented and he represents humility, simple, small. Uh, He's from the Shire. And he takes that ring and he does what with it? He casts it in to the fires of mortar to see it destroy. Jesus doesn't talk about any ring in particular, but he does talk about a cup. And we saw it last week as we were reading and meditating on the realities of Easter week when Jesus pleads with God to take this cup from me, the cup of God's wrath. Jesus doesn't end up taking that cup and throwing it into a fire of Mordor. Instead, Jesus takes and drinks that cup of what we deserve for our defilement down to the dregs. 
through his offering of his life on the cross so that he can work salvation in you and in me from the inside out. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we praise you for your word. Lord, we praise you for the places even where it stings and where we might buck against it and like to believe some other story about ourselves. Oh, Lord, help us to confess, to with you fess up to where we really stand. Lord, that we might acknowledge a deep problem and receive the deepest of solutions, the deepest healing, the deepest of mercy from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.